Welcome to Desk of Lady Ada. Hey everybody, and welcome to Desk of Lady Ada. It's me, Lady Ada, with me, Mr. Lady Ada, on camera control, Hello. behind the camera, behind the mic. We got a triple decker for you tonight because uh, I'm, I'm going to get you the INPI on top of Hacker Stacker. Hacker Stacker, Desk of Lady Ada. Um, great search and INPI. We're so. doubling the RAM with RAM Doubler and Stacker tonight. Um, yeah, yeah, we have a lot. We have the great search. We've got INMPI, and then we've got all the other stuff that we normally do on Disc of Ladyata. So let's uh, kick it. Okay. So um, this weekend, um, I put together um, the Cutie Pie Gamer board that I showed off like a week ago. Um, the PCBs came in, and because uh, they were ordered like a week and a half ago, and I put them together, and it actually pretty much worked. There's a couple little bugs I want to fix, um, but one of the things I wanted to do is port. Um, a Nintendo emulator to the little game player, and so I actually looked around, and for the ESP32, um, the the Odroid Go uh, originally had you know had a bunch of emulators on it, so I knew this was possible. And then there's even though the retro, sorry, even though the Odroid Go has been discontinued and like the official firmware is no longer developed, there's a third party firmware called Retro Go um, that has been maintained by some other parties who then also use it for other ESP32 hardware. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to take a look at porting that. And um, this code was in uh, the ESP IDF, and this was like my first time using the IDF, and I actually really liked it. It was um, extremely fast. Um, Ninja and CMake are like, I mean, it's like nearly instantaneous uh, compilation, and the uploading is very fast, and like the monitor tool is built in. It's a really, really nice experience, even from the command line, um, which is great. It's like I was writing my code in like XEMACs as normal, but then using... Um, the command line shell just to like, you know, make monitor flash. And, um, you know, my mistake was actually I had the wrong size capacitor on my ESP32 board. So resetting, you know, I should have like sat down, figured out why I wasn't resetting properly, but instead I would like manually reset every time. So, yeah, I lost a little bit of time there. But I did get retro go running pretty well. So I thought, let's go to the overhead and I can show off what I have done. So. Let's get real close because everything is super small. Uh, so this is magnify, the magnify. This is the ESP32 uh, Pico. So it's got the wires on it because I was doing a low battery uh, deep sleep check on it, and um, I could get it to lock. Okay, um, I was doing the deep locking. Okay, um, I was doing the deep sleep uh, check on it to make sure that. Um, the CP2104 and the NeoPixel were properly shutting off. And um, when in deep sleep, this goes down to about 70 microamps, which is as good as you're going to get with the ESP32. Um, it draws about 50-ish microamps, and then the regulator draws like 10. Uh, I could change over to um, the RT9080, which was an even lower quiescent, like a 2 microamp quiescent regulator. Um, it's available now for a while. I couldn't get any, but um, it looks like DigiKey has them back in stock. And that was a, a really nice regulator because that's like 600 milliamp output, but again, an ultra low quiescent about two micrograms. It doesn't get any lower than that. And uh, we covered that part on a great search like a few months ago. Um, so pretty much everything's good. I'm going to redo the silk screen, including fixing this backwards text. Um, this is all working. I also rotated the antenna. Um, I tried just doing it like manually and actually did give slightly better uh, RF performance. So all the other cutie pies, like uh, I'm going to compare and contrast uh, to see how um, the antenna fares when it's rotated to be parallel to the edges of the, of the 
um, board. I'm pretty sure the radial pattern comes out like this way. Um, so this is good because it, it probably won't have that much um, radiated energy into the uh, stomach QT connector, which is what I was a little bit worried about. But I think it'll be okay. So it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it out. Um, so this is the board as assembled. Uh, we've got that headphone amplifier chip that we covered, the Maxim chip. It's actually quite nice. Um, the headphone jack for a um, little, just a little portable sort of like Android headset. Micro SD on the high-speed TFT uh, and the TFT on the high-speed SPI lines. Although I did notice RetroGo does not drive the TFT faster than 40 megahertz, so it's kind of like, you know, it turns out in the end it was not, not that it wasn't useful, but they just didn't seem to uh, care as much about going through the IOMUX or not. Although I, I think I might be able to fix it. I think the reason they don't drive it faster is because um, they send the commands at 80 megahertz, and the trick with these um, TFT displays like the ST7789 and the ILI 9341 is... They're spec'd for like 10, 12 megahertz. And like, believe me, they're very happy at 10, 12. You can drive them at 80 megahertz, but you have to send the initialization commands and the window command at one megahertz or like 10 megahertz. You, have to, you can't send the instructions at high speed, but you can blit the buffer out at high speed. And we do that on the Raspberry Pi. Blit the buffer? Yes, that's, the, that's <laughs> what it's called. You blit the buffer. Um, it's just blitting. Yeah. Got the on-off switch here. Um, Battery charging. I'm still got to figure out what the battery connector I want to use is, but this battery, um, you know, fits quite nicely on the back, and it will, you know, even clear the uh, the standoffs. So I'll figure maybe I'll go with a, um, a Molex Pico Pico blade, and then the AW9523 GPIO expander, which is what I'm using to control, um, like the TFT reset, the headphone um, enable. The uh, card detect on the on the SD, uh, the 10 GPIO pins, and uh, the backlight control. Um, because again, with the QD Pi, we just don't we don't have that many pins. So if I can, you know, use as many of them, if, if a lot of them can be slow and go through the I/O expander, um, that's even better. So it wasn't too bad. I just had to like port I squared C code for controlling the expander into ESP IDF. But you know, there was a lot of example code out there, and uh, pretty much got it working. Um, the only bug I have in the design is uh, the DAC was on oh, the DAC was on A3, and um, it's it should have been on A0. And I, I revised it on the next version, so I have a little jumper because A3 isn't being used. I just jumper it over to uh, A0, and then um, <clears throat> if you turn this on, you know I got it playing Dr. Mario, and it's got the uh, the audio coming out. I don't know if you can hear that or not. And um, it's kind of nice. There's actually a lot of controls. So you probably can't read this, but it's like you can change the uh, the scaling and the filtering and the speed and overscan and, and, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, the backlight. I haven't done the adjustable blacklight yet, but that's available. Volume control. Um, again, I don't just don't know how much volume control you're going to get out of an 8-bit DAC, but, yeah, I guess you could, like, have it be a little bit quieter. Um, and then... Uh, you know, you can save state um, with the game. It'll save the the SRAM into a file. And so you can, like, quit a game whenever you want and get back. And you don't have to, like, save the game. You can just, like, reload it from that location. So RetroGo is a really nice emulator. Um, is there enclosure? Someone want to know what the enclosure is for when you dock the board. 
Um, the enclosure, I don't know what they mean. Yeah. There's no, this is going to be like, you know, there's going to be another PCB on the back, and that'll just be the enclosure with, like, standoffs in between. There you go. So it's not meant to be, like, believe me, if you want, like, the the real thing, go get a, you know, get, go get an yeah. Odroid Oh, I think or, they meant, what is the cutie pie plugged into? Oh, that's a, it's, oh. A, it's an accessory for the cutie pie. Yeah, this is an accessory. We're so. calling them nuggets or BFFs. We don't know yet. Yeah, so this has the USB and the power supply. This, yeah. you know, this is the brains of the board, and this is a little shield basically. But the yeah. shield has um, we, we, we call it and, pinky, and we don't know yet. Yeah, and this is the uh, Nintendo emulator. So it's nice, as you know, two forty by two forty. Actually, Nintendo, um, the native emulation for Nintendo is two fifty six by two forty, but. You, know, you can either cut off the sides or you can just scale it a little bit. Um, it looks great. Um, you know, it's all like pixel perfect. Um, I've seen, you know, there was like um, this Sprites TM made a little emulator, um, but the screen was only like, I think 96 by 64 pixels. And so it's like when you're scaling something down to 90, I mean, it was like 120 by 96. If you're scaling it that much, it's actually quite hard to, to play games. Um, whereas this, it's like, each pixel is is a pixel, so you can read the text and you can. Yeah, it's um, very readable. It's it's very readable. I don't know if it can. I don't know if it's readable on the uh, overhead. Right. Okay. Should do Marty. Come on. All right. So um, sh don't don't rush me. There's also uh, GNU Boy, uh, which is a um, you know uh, Game Boy. It, you can. There's a little bit of color here, but it's um it was kind of washed out. So it actually, looks like the original Game Boy, which was black and white. Um, so you can play uh, Game Boy games like Pokemon, and uh, I think there was like a Final Fantasy game. I'm trying to remember, like I played a couple games. I mean, obviously the Tetris and stuff. Um, some classic games, and then um, there's also uh, Sonic the Hedgehog for Sega Master Systems. And that's. Uh, that works great too. Although I was never, I was never into Sonic, so I'm not good at playing it. Um, and then one of the cool things is that um, this there's also ColecoVision. Um, you just load ROMs on the micro SD card and you slot it in, and it just like shows up. It's like it's a really like very very polished emulator. Um, there's also Doom. Uh, so PR Boom, which is a, a very minimal version of Doom. Um, was ported to the ESP32, and, and what's really neat about how RetroGo is structured is like there was a little bit of a hump to get it like running, but once we got it running, um, all the emulators worked. Like once you get one emulator working, the rest of the emulators work because the input and the graphics and the sound all go th like all that is shared is in fast. one in one file. No, it's 100%. Which is another thing that's kind of neat is. Um, it doesn't pause nicely, but you can see the speed. Uh, it can run. This is running at 106, percent so it can it can emulate um, Nintendo, uh, Sega Master System, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Doom at 100, um, percent and it's using one. You know, one core is using the input and maybe even graphics output, and the other one is doing the um, emulation. So it does really. It's really nice when you have an ESP32 which the, the Pico is underneath, um, dual-core 240 megahertz, even though it's got uh, PS RAM, which is a little bit slower. Uh, it still has a lot of RAM internally. It has like 500K internal SRAM. Um, and we're not using Wi-Fi here, so of course it's, you get to use all of that. 
And then um, you have a ton of flash, and that's how you can have all these emulators uh, loaded in. So yeah, that's that's it. So I got this working. So this is just my first prototype. So there's a little bit more that I want to do. First off, I wasn't sure that the screen would look good enough. I was a little worried, which is why you see there's a large outline here. I was thinking of going with a, a 1.69 inch screen, which is 240 by uh, 280 in case um, it didn't look good. But this looks great. So I think I'm going to actually stick yeah. with um, the small little screen. It's I think it's the smallest, like near pixel perfect. Um, or pixel perfect emulator. Again, you can make you can make it smaller, but it's not going to be playable. Um, whereas it's actually, uh, you know, you could actually uh, play the games and and read the text and yeah. Um, you know, this is cool. I'm not good at. And I'll say I'm not good at Doom, and I'm definitely not good at Doom while looking at a screen that's looking at a screen. But uh, you know, you can you can play it, yeah. and um, you know, as people add more to RetroGo, which is kind of like the nicest emulator out there. Um, also, it could be interesting to see if the S3 gets ported over to uh, run RetroGo. It doesn't have the DAX, but, you know, I2S uh, probably would be just as fast. That could be kind of nice because then you don't even need the CP2104. You can make an even smaller Doom player. Okay, let's do a question and then we'll get to yeah. the great search and then we'll do IMPI. Um, how's the TFT wired up on the board parallel with slow GPO uh, handled by the GPO expander? No, the, the TFT, even though it has 8-bit um, TFT support, we're not using it. We're using SPI because, honestly, um, first off, you know, it has to, the pins are only brought out here. You only get, like, 11 GPIO pins. Um, and it's shared with the SD card. But, honestly, almost every emulator board uses SPI. You can um, DMA you can DMA to SPI a lot, to these screens through SPI a lot easier than 8-bit um, because with 8-bit... You put the eight bits on, and you have to like toggle the right latch, and that usually is not as easy to DMA as just pulsing pixels out on SPI, right? Because the SPI data is just you're just pushing out all the pixels, two forty by two forty or so times two per pixel, you know, whatever the hundred and fifteen k all out at once. There's a frame buffer inside, and it just like shoves out the pixels in one DMA transfer. If you try to do a DMA transfer, there are some boards that have DMA support for 8-bit, 6800 or 8080, um, but it's, they're rarer. It's, it's usually a weird thing, and you have to do like a waveform generation, and it's like freaky because you don't just have to push out the pixels in parallel. You also have to toggle that right latch. Um, and so for that reason, the benefits that you get are usually not worth it. Um, you can, you know, if you... If you can DMA out the pixels, it doesn't matter how long it takes because you write out the buffer and then you calculate your next buffer um, while that's pulsing out. So especially if you have enough RAM, which um, this chip does to have two buffers, one's written, one's being calculated, um, then you know you're good to go. And I think on the, um, I think on the. Uh, the friend, uh, when I ported to the SAMD51, I didn't have double buffering. It worked fine even then. It takes less time than you think to push out um, the, the pixels, and then you can do all your computations uh, while that's happening. Okay. Let's uh, jump right into the great search, okay? Okay, great. The Great Search brought to you by DigiKey and Adafruit every single week. Lady Ada uses her powers of engineering to help you find things on DigiKey.com. Lady Ada, what is the Great Search of the Week? This week, 
Okay, this week, um, well, we're gonna build on last week's uh, NPI, which was that headphone amp. This week I'm gonna get the headphone connector because uh, I realized a lot of people actually have been emailing asking like, where, how do you, where do you get these headphone connectors that you're using? Um, this one's quite nice. So let's go to the overhead and I'll show it off real fast. So for the little uh, gamer board prototype, um, underneath here is the uh, headphone amp. That's the Maxim part that we showed off last week. And then this is the little headphone jack. And I really like this style headphone jack because it's quite slim. Um, it's surface mount only, but it's, uh, it's TRRS, which can be nice because you can get the microphone output. And um, it's not that much bigger than like the jack itself. Like sometimes these are really kind of chunky, but these are very slim. Um, and they're slim enough that they fit between uh, the headers on this board. So let's find um, this uh, jack. This one actually in particular does not have the through hole um, pads. I, I found that you don't need them, but it does have a cutout on the uh, PCB. So this is actually kind of nice, I think, because usually the, mo the most strain comes from pushing into the board. Um, you don't want people to like, you know, push and, and shear at the same time. So there's a little bit of a cutout. You can kind of barely see the little U. There's a little piece of plastic that goes into the board that just kind of gives it a little bit of um, mechanical strength. So let's go to digdig.com, digikey.com. And let's search for, so these are weird. They're not, you'd think that they're called headphone jacks and they kind of are, but they're called um, phone jacks, right? Because just historically, if you look at old like videos or photos, um, these were used for uh, telephone systems. That's kind of what they were. The, the quarter inch type were used for, um, you know, plugging into a uh, switchboard. Uh, so they're called phone jacks. Um, so, uh, or barrel audio jacks. So we're going to go to uh, barrel audio connectors. And, you know, it's funny is like, there's a lot, but somehow there's less than I expect. So you can get like kind of anything and, you know, sockets and RCA type and, and panel mount and all that. What we're looking for specifically is uh, like this industry recognized diameter. We want three and a half, um, which is, sorry, 3.5 millimeter, otherwise known as uh, quarter inch, sorry, eighth inch. Uh, quarter inch is um, 0.25 inches, 6.35 millimeters. Um, eighth inch is not actually eighth inch, it's 0.14. So it's like a nominal, right? One thing you learn as an engineer is like everything is exact until it's nominal. Um, eighth, inch, eighth, eighth inch nominal is not 1.25, it's 1.4. So just, just keep that in mind. Um, so uh, searching for that. Okay, so let's see what we got. Okay, so these, yeah, these look more reasonable. Um, so there's all sorts of types. There's uh, wire inline. There's this, which is actually kind of close to what we're looking for. Um, through hole, you know, more panel mount or inline. So let's um, let's go for, we want active and we want uh, jack and we don't want dual or triple, right? Where you have three to one, we want singular. Um, and we don't want RCA. That's fine. So let's apply that filter. And then um, one thing that I looked at was um, some of these are called um, cutout style. And I was like, what is this? So let me show you. Hold on. Uh, 
So let's do um, not panel mount, let's do surface mount right angle and there's board cutout and there's non-board cutout. And apply all. So board cutout type is interesting. It looks like, hold on, let me find one. Because it was like unusual. I was like, oh, what is this? Uh, surface mount, surface mount, surface mount, board cutout. Okay. So this is board cutout. And here's something interesting about this uh, design. You see how the, like, the legs kind of come out from the side? So this is something where you actually have, you want to have like the jack be centered on the PCB, not rising above it. Usually, like we don't want, if you want to have like a very elegant design, right, you want to have the USB jack come out through the center so it has, it's kind of floating in the middle of the circuit board. You can do the same with um, headphone jacks. Let me find, this is another one. So you can see it's kind of like, it's weird, like it sinks into the PCB and it goes in upside down so that it's um, centered on a 16th um, inch PCB. Anyways, I'm not gonna use this, but I thought it was interesting for people who are like, oh, I want to have that really elegant, you know, the, the hole is right centered in the product and the product has the PCB um, centered in the enclosure. Because otherwise, you know, it's like kind of Apple sort of popularized this. Like beforehand it was like, eh, fuck it. Like all the characters are like uneven and they're wherever you want. But if you want them to have a, a really elegant straight line of all the connectors, you might have to have them sunken into the PCB. Anyhow, uh, so let's just do surface mount right angle. And then the next thing is, um, you can get ones with uh, switches inside of them. And um, so, you know, at this point I sort of, there's a couple that are very similar in style. So the, the style I use, which is this, um, there's quite a few of them, but I, I sorted by price. And, um, oh, sorry, I also want to look at ones that are in stock right now. And um, I found this one. So this one you can tell by the rendering, this is upside down. But you can see that there's more than uh, four contacts or six co contacts on the bottom. So if you have three contacts, you know, it's almost certainly going to be left, right, and ground. If it's four contacts, it's usually ground, microphone, left, right. And if there's more than that, it means there's internal switches. And the internal switches can be used to like, you know, when you plug in, it disconnects the speaker. Or you can use it with a very light pull down um, to indicate whether, you know, something has been plugged in to either turn it on or to um, you know, enable audio output at all. There's no point in turning on the audio subsystem, maybe if the headphone isn't plugged in. So you can check out the uh, data sheets. And yeah, it has a bunch of contacts and uh, this is what it looks like. So um, you know, normally you plugged in and you get ground mic left and right. And then when it's unconnected, um, the left and right are connected through to five and six, uh, which lets you, you know, have an internal speaker or again, some detection that says like, okay, that headphones not plugged in. Um, you know, it would be really great if headphones had like a separate switch that was not routed, like it wasn't going through the audio line, like line path. But I actually, you know, once I found a, a, a jack that did that, but since then it's been, it, I always find it this way. So even though this doesn't seem like it could be used to detect headphones, like it, it looks like it's only good for switching the audio line through speakers or not, you can use it for um, detection of whether 
um, a speaker is plugged in and in, or a headphone is plugged in. And in fact, the headphone amplifier we talked about last week does have in the app notes section a circuit to show how to disable the headphone amplifier when um, these switches are, are opened. Um, so that said, this is a very cute um, headphone jack. It's got the mounting holes. So it's kind of nice. I don't know if you need a board cutout. Oh yeah, you do. You can kind of see it goes a little bit underneath. So, you know, either you have it up against the edge of the board or you do a little bit of a cutout if you don't want it to be um, sticking out past. And it's uh, very affordable. It's like 80, 88 cents for singles, um, you know, 60, 55 cents in a reel. And uh, I like it's gold plated and it's from Tensility. So this is my pick for the great search. And that's a great search. Okay, do you want to roll right into uh, this week's special segment, Ion MPI? Well, ask if there's any, any questions. Nope, you're yeah. good. Okay, great. Yeah, let's do it. Let's roll right in. Okay, for okay. those who, who don't know, is during the week, um, Ask an Engineer, we do Ion MPI, but package was delayed. We got super busy. Everything happened, but we said, oh, well, we have these other shows, so we can just add it to this just one. Just check it on here. So uh, what we do is we find this incredibly new product at DigiKey. And Lady Ada talks about it. So here we go. And we have a theme song, just like the other one. Hi, on MPI. All right, this week's on MPI is from 3M, Lady Ada. That's right, 3M, you're back. We did 3M a while ago um, for, I think, their squeegees. Um, this week we're doing uh, the on MPI on 3M because... Um, DigiKey on digikey.com slash new, which is where they put all their NPIs. So do visit slash new every once in a while. You'll get some um, heads up on upcoming sensors and chips. Uh, they highlighted a 3M VHV tape. And this is my favorite tape. This tape is like, it'll mess you up. It's so good. So, oh. That was just me being clumsy. That had nothing to do with the tape. Okay, so here. What do you want me to do? Go to the next I was startled. I know. She kicked a trash can over. I didn't mean to. A lot of people don't realize. I'm violent. What it? No. What a. <laughs> this is. This is like a performance art piece, and we have a little bit more space in the factory here. In our apartment, we have no room. But we can touch each wall, standing in the middle. So, um, anyways, tape. Tape. Okay. So this is the wheel of uh, VHB tape. Um, it comes in different uh, widths and thicknesses, but we're specifically talking uh, this week about. The 5906, uh, which is um, a very skinny foam double-sided tape um, that comes on wheels. Um, in this case, it, it's actually, it looks a little brown in this photo, but usually it's actually quite black, and I have some, and I'll show it off. And the great stuff about this tape is it's incredibly strong. It's got this kind of like famous acrylic um, adhesive in it uh, that can bond pretty much anything to anything, like wood, plastic, glass, concrete what have you, um, this stuff sticks to it. It sticks to it nearly instantly. Um, it's a lot less messy than epoxy. Um, you know, I, I got this little head, headphone holder that like sits under my desk and, and holds my uh, headsets while I'm not um, using them. And it came with VHB tape and even though it was sticking to kind of a rough surface, uh, it, uh, it stuck well, it stuck strong and I can't get it off. So um, this stuff is definitely the good stuff. And 
For electronics, you could use it for, you know, bonding panels, enclosures, sensors. You know, it's, uh, it's not waterproof, but it can deal with a humid environment uh, and, and a wide range of temperatures. So here is the spec sheet. Um, so there's a couple different thicknesses available. Again, that highlighted one was the 5906, um, but there's a couple uh, different thicknesses. Um, it, it, you know, it pretty much bonds instantly, um, but after 72 hours, it, you'll get like the, the kind of the best bonding. Um, I think this has the, uh, yeah, the panel, the peel adhesion and the static shear. Um, I think in another page I have the, um, the pull uh, force required to delaminate it. It's like strong. I mean, it's like, you know, tens of pounds of, of force are needed. Um, so this stuff is definitely um, quite powerful. It's used often, you know, kind of like looking into it, it, it it's used often for um, bonding TFT panels to bezels um, and PCBs to enclosures. Uh, and here are some of the use cases. Um, so they actually have a really cool video, uh, which we're not going to show here. But if you go to, if you search for 3M VHB scooter, they put together like an entire scooter, like a human is on it and rolling around um, with like no screws or bolts, only VHB tape. Um, and it worked and like it was totally fine for an adult human to roll around. And it doesn't have that many views. It's a very cool video. So I, I do recommend um, checking it out. I, I think I sent it to you, Phil. Maybe we'll post it up. Uh, later when we put this on the blog. Yeah. There are spec sheets for uh, the 3M VHB tape. Again, there's just like a lot of variations of this tape. Um, so while we're featuring the 30, uh, the 5906, um, there's there's other thicknesses width and stuff. And um, the thing is, DigiKey has these in sheets. So you know, when you look, just, you know, the sheets are going to be expensive because they're going to be like, you know, what, five feet by like 20 feet or something. Uh, massive sheets that can be die cut. But you can also get them in spools, which is what um, we did and what we recommend. So it comes in. on DigiKey. It comes, it's on DigiKey. You can get for, I think, like 13 bucks, you can get half inch by five yards. And then I think for 20 bucks, you can get um, one inch by five yards. So I actually got one of each. Um, they're inexpensive enough that you can, like, pick it up without worry. Have it in your toolbox. And then... You know, usually if you're using foam tape or double-sided tape, it's like it's removable. If you need something that's not going to be removable, like something that's really like it's stuck and it's going to stay stuck for decades, um, then, then this is definitely going to do a better job than like your everyday electrical tape, scotch tape, masking tape, uh, whatever. And I can even show a quick demo on um, the overhead. Okay. Sounds good. So, let's the overhead here. Okay. So this is the VHB tape. Yeah, um, focus in on that a little bit. Yes. Okay. And I've got my scissors. So it comes, um, so of course it's so strong. You can't, it's not like, you know, double-sided scotch tape where you can like peel it off. And it's like, yes, it's stuck to itself, but it's removable. Um, if Once it sticks to itself, you can't remove it. So it's got a plastic dividing it's like the one plastic it doesn't stick to. Like they, they that's the thing. They're right? the cure and the disease. When you design something that sticks to anything, if you want to package it, you have to find the one yeah. thing it doesn't stick to, so you can package it. It's like it. the super glue company has a thing that makes it so it doesn't stick to other things. They know it. Yeah. So, so just for a demo, I want to show. Um, yeah, I have these two scrap PCBs. So you would. Uh, Make sure you lock the focus in on a little bit. Oh uh, yeah, sorry. Going up and down. I know. Hold on. Is this okay? 
All right, so I cut off a piece of uh, the, the tape and the um, backing. So if I adhere this here, and you, you can see that, right? Yeah. Put your finger there, and then you can peel this off. And then, so I can like kind of sort of remove it. I'm going to put this crossways. And then again, it, you know, 72 hours is like how long it takes for it to like really bond. But, um, you know. Wow. This is, here, you, 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 you try it. And you're a guy, you're strong. Ugh. All right. That, okay. might, that might have hurt me. You're a monster. <laughs> so it, you know, it is, it is possible. Um, yeah. Also, of course, if you clean it, but you have to have, you have to be able to like wedge it from the side to be able to get enough. I'm also um, cranked out on gear. He's also, he's also <laughs> cranked out. Uh, anyways, uh, he's not. Uh, extremely strong. And then, you know, like if you didn't go from an angle, if you actually tried to pull it flat, it's really stuck. So uh, for like displays and stuff, or for any kind of electronics where you just have to make sure that it doesn't vibrate loose. And it's kind of a little bit of, um, the foam is a little thick, so there's a little bit of give, which is also kind of nice. Like it's stuck together, but it's not like hard stuck together. Like there's a little bit of flexibility. So if this gets, if it gets um, a shock force, it's not gonna like fly apart. This is some of the things about epoxy that drives me a little crazy is some epoxies are so hard that, um, you know, by it, if you if you give it a, a kick in just the right location, it'll snap open. Um, whereas this adhesive on the foam backing is just soft enough that I think it has a little bit of give. Um, it'll stay stuck even if it's like shaken or twisted or um, you know lifted and, and dropped. So, so, yes, I usually have to test stuff that's like unbreakable or like whatever. What I like about this is this was hard to uh, to to get apart. Um, you know, like. It hurt my hand, but... Is your hand okay? Yeah, it's fine. But it did give, which I like because in the past, you know, sometimes I break the thing instead. Yeah. So this this had... It, this could hold anything. Um, but it does... It does... You do make it an easy piece with it, and you make a compromise at some point. And it will... You, you, it can, will, you can remove it yeah. eventually. Yeah, that was hard, though. You just have to put, like, you know, 100 pounds of force per square inch. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's an, an, a lot of... Um, it's a lot of effort, um, but you can remove it, but it's not going to move by accident. Like, yeah. you have to try. What I should say is it's purposely or purposeful uh, re removable. Purposely. Like, yeah. Okay. Like, you have to, like, have a lot of willpower. Okay. And the VHB stands for, like, very high bond, I think. So, like, there you go, right? That's what it is. Um, All right. I think it's very heckin' cool. And with that, is that MPI? All right, uh, this isn't part of IONMPI, but I just thought it was interesting. Lady Ada, do you know what 3M stands for? It's like the... I know it's uh, Minnesota it's, it's something. It's an American company. And, Minnesota, Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota. <laughs> and, and I have the logo. So it's the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company from Duluth, Minnesota. And then you can see the other logos from 1942, 1944. I like that 1961 logo. Look at yeah. that. That's a nice, like, they just... And then I I also like the, the, the 1906 and the 1942. They make everything. And, uh, the 1942, it's very hand-drawn looking. Yeah. It's, 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 it's somebody, this is cool. The 61 is very, 1944 like... 1944 is weird, though. It's like, I don't know, World War II really messed us up. Yeah. That... <laughs> 
Um, the current one looks good too. I mean, yeah. I, I I think that it's um, look. It's a very modern company. Uh, you know, they make a lot of different it's stuff. Cool. If you're a chemist, you definitely get a job at, at 3M. Um, and Anyways, they're kind of well loved, cool. right? Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's our show for tonight. We went a little long tonight. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. Um, we'll uh, we'll see everybody. Let's see. On Tuesday, we have GP's product pick. Yes. And that's a live show from the product page. Wednesday, we have 3D hangouts with Noam Pedro, and then we have show and tell and ask an engineer. Thursday, we have GP's workshop, and then Friday, we have um, Scott's deep dive. Tonight, tomorrow, I'll be posting up a couple short videos of uh, this handheld playing Doom and more. Look how tiny this is. Um, I loosened that up for you. I and, know. and then... Uh, I kind of want to do little like, like feats of strength. Yeah. And then... Um, yeah. We're also going to have a bunch of other bits and videos and more. Yeah. All right. Well, that's everything tonight. Thank you, everyone, for... Uh, Joining us, you make our Sunday nights uh, exciting and interesting and get us inspired for the week ahead. Uh, we have a bunch of cool stuff in store. And thank you, everyone, um, not only for being part of uh, this show, but uh, when we're not broadcasting, I see you all in the chat, and you're always really nice to each other. And Thanks I see for you, being I nice. I see you online, and you always help one another. And it's so much different than a lot of that's going out, uh, going on out there right now. And uh, just thanks for making our little corner of the internet together uh, just a little bit better. And uh, it's very much appreciated. Okay, everybody. <laughs> thanks, we'll talk everybody. To you later. Bye bye.